One of the best parenting decisions I have ever made was early on in the pandemic when we were kind of like couldn't see family, stuck in our apartment. We introduced our son Judah to Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. They had uh, the early seasons of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on Amazon Prime, and so we were watching like the original 1968 black and white Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with our son. And Judah just took to it. He loved it. Even though it was in black and white, it held his attention better than any kid's cartoon that he was watching before that. And he... He kind of got on like a first-name basis with Mr. Rogers. But he wasn't calling him Fred. He was calling him Roger. We love it. It's still a common theme. Before bedtime, he wants us to sing the, like, Mr. Rogers sign-off song to him. It's, it's a whole thing. But part of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is this idea of being a neighbor. He calls, you know, the child watching his television neighbor. He's introducing you to all the neighbors he has around him in his neighborhood. And all of a sudden, this word, this language of neighbor starts popping into our son Judah's vocabulary. And I remember one time him asking me, Daddy, who's my neighbor? And he has a very specific person in mind. There, there's a, a family that lives behind us. They have a swing set and all the fun toys that we don't have to have because they have them. And that is Judah's neighbor in his mind. My neighbor, not, not our neighbor. It's my neighbor. But he, he'll continually ask me this kind of question, who is my neighbor, so that I have to respond specifically this boy that he is thinking of. It is a common question in our house. Jesus was asked the literally exact same question as my son is asking me, but under some different circumstances. Who is my neighbor? And this question led to one of his most famous teachings and probably one of his, his best-known parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like I said, correcting the typo today on your handout that it is not the wise and foolish builders. Now, Jesus often taught in parables as this form of of conveying his message in ways that connected to everyday life into stories that people could relate to, but also cloaking his teaching enough about the kingdom of God so that those who were just waiting for him to say the right thing couldn't, couldn't catch him in his words. So Jesus taught in these parables. So if you'll turn to me on your handout, or if you have your Bible and want to turn to Luke chapter 10, which I'm just going to make sure I'm there in case technology does what technology does. This is Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Which, when you think about it, this is a good question to ask an expert in the law. How do I inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say about it? See, this expert in the law was probably a part of the Pharisee movement. An expert in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah, in the law of the Jewish people, and also a master of all the interpretations, all the kind of passed down traditions that went along with the laws. 
So the 613 Old Testament laws plus the heaps and bounds of other regulations that were ways of interpreting and living that out. But we see with this expert of the law that he had, he had this kind of lawyerish technicality kind of way of thinking. We see it in his response. He answered Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Things that Jesus himself had said to summarize the law. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he has Jesus and who's my neighbor? This expert, this is him coming and trying to test Jesus. This is him saying, okay, yes, this is what you're saying, but who's my neighbor? If I'm to love God and love my neighbor, and, you know, I'm doing pretty well in the love God stuff. I'm following the law as best as I can. I'm an expert in it. I know all the kind of loopholes and technicalities. Here's a curveball. Who's my neighbor? Where am I able to draw the line of who I'm obligated to love and who I don't have to worry about? Where's the line? I'm going to close this because that is going to flip all day. Who do and who don't I have to love like myself? Where's the loophole? Where's the technicality? How can I get off the hook on this one? And in reply, Jesus told the famous parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but a 10-mile journey where you would drop about a kilometer in elevation going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It was a treacherous road along the edge of kind of like a canyon or a valley, a perfect spot for robbers. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Even the language in the Greek there is, there just so happened to be a priest. Like, what a, what a fantastic thing to happen for this man who is dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, one of the tribes of Israel who is tasked with caring for the temple, who would have done many of the similar roles of the priest who had gone by before, he came and he saw him and he too passed by on the other side. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the church and this is your 7,000th time hearing this parable, I'm sure you have heard like the Levite and the priest, they have been blackmailed and thrown in the trash as the worst people in the world. What is with these guys who wouldn't care at all about this beaten up man on the side of the road? Let's try to get into the head of the the Pharisee or the the priest and the Levite a little bit. Are they just heartless men walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho? What what is their motivation for going to the other side of the road? 
Well, an expert of the law would pick this up. That if they saw this man half dead, to touch this man would, to, would violate purity laws. That these, these priests, these Levites, these men who work in the temple, they would, they would be ceremonially unclean. They'd be unfit for their job of working in the temple for several days until they went through cleansing. If this man was, in fact, dead on the side of the road, they would be defiling themselves by touching a corpse. Maybe their motivation is, listen, I've got a job to do. And I can't touch this guy's body in case he's dead and I defile myself and I go into the Lord's temple and I can't fulfill all of my religious obligations. It's not wrong of them to want to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean. But if we look at the passage, we read that the priest and the Levite, they're walking down the same way as the man. They're coming from Jerusalem where the temple is down to Jericho. These guys had probably just wrapped up their kind of shift of serving in the temple, doing their duties, offering sacrifices, maintaining the facility, etc., where they would have to be ceremonially clean, and they're on their way home. It's like when you go do two weeks out west, and then you come back home to be with the family. They just finished up their shift, and they're coming back to Jericho. So in reality, these men don't have to be ceremonially clean. They finished up their job. They're going back home. But think about the stigma of, oh, well, yes, I'm, I'm a priest, and I work in the temple. I'm a Levite. But you arrive home, and you're like, ah, oh, you can't touch me. I'm ceremonially unclean. I'm defiled. I touched this guy on the road. All of a sudden, the religious stigma of being, or the religious kind of accolades of being a priest, a Levite. I just did my duty in the temple. I'm the religious guy who just went leaps and bounds above the rest of you in my devotion to God. I don't want to come home defiled. I don't want to be seen as dirty. Jesus continues. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, happened to be going by in his journey far from Samaria, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, uh, this was a new detail for me. Like he spent the night caring for the guy. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was a day's worth of wage, two days worth of wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Then Jesus asks the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
I want you to notice the question Jesus is asking. Who in the story is the neighbor of the beaten man? The priests and the Levites. Technically, they were coming from Jerusalem the same way down to Jericho. They probably all lived in Jericho and were just coming from some festival at the temple. They probably lived in closer proximity to each other. Who knows? Maybe the priest lived around the corner from the guy. Maybe technically they were neighbors. But who was a neighbor to him? Not who lived in closest proximity. The question is not which person do I have obligation to care for. Which person lives closest to me and it's weird if I ignore them. The question is, are you caring? Are you merciful? Are you loving? The fact that it was a Samaritan, I'm sure you've heard this before, just rubbed kind of salt in the wound for this expert in the law who's listening to this. A man who probably would have revered the priest and the Levite for their duties in the temple. But a Samaritan, we don't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the half-breeds to the north who hundreds of years ago intermarried with the Assyrians. The Samaritans are the ones who don't bother going to the temple because they think that you're supposed to worship on Mount Horeb and not in Jerusalem. The Samaritans are the one who, they wrote their own version of the Bible. We don't like the Samaritans. I'm an expert in the law. What do you think you're doing? But the one who showed the neighborliness that the priest, the Levite, and the expert in the law were missing was one that they all despised. The one they would assume was the bad guy, but was in fact the one more than any of them showing them the character of Christ. All of this comes down to the expert in the law who says, okay, I want to love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I know that's the right thing. I struggle with the loving my neighbor as myself, and I'm going to try to find a loophole. I'm going to try to find a way to say I'm not obligated to love that person specifically. And we can do the same thing. I do the same thing. Listen, like... All of the time, I am in my mind looking for the loophole or technicality of, oh, I'm not really obligated to do that. I don't really need to care. I don't really need to go out of my way. I don't really need to seek reconciliation because they're the one who harmed me. Listen, I am, I am very much an advocate for a lot of the conversation these days about finding boundaries and having emotional health and, and knowing where to draw the line. But I know for some of us, that can also just feed into our desire to not step out of line, not go over and above, to pass off 
an opportunity to show the mercy of Christ. Because like Jesus's accusers, he healed on the Sabbath. Or because it's inconvenient for me. Or I'm not in the perfect place right now, so I can't show mercy. Sometimes you and I, we have these nagging feelings of, oh, I should do something about it. But I don't see anyone else doing anything, so I'm not going to do anything. We call it bystander syndrome. And, and you, can, you can find videos on YouTube of something horrific that takes place, like, like someone who collapses while walking down the street, and everyone else on the sidewalk are standing there in a circle around them, not moving, not knowing what to do, because they don't want to be the one who takes the first step and goes out of their way. It's not my obligation. I can, I can find a loophole in my mind as to why I'm not the person that should step out and help. Sometimes we get these nagging feelings. And, and, and maybe for you it's a spiritual thing of, of, I know I need to have a conversation with that person. Or I need, know I need to help them out. Or I, I know I need to have this kind of conversation. I need to walk across the room. I need to seek forgiveness. I have this nagging feeling in my heart. And you have that situation in your mind right now, even as I'm saying this. But you've loopholed and found the technicality in why you're not going to do it. This is the expert in the law. Here's the thing. The kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to live in him isn't about finding loopholes or technicalities. It's about where your heart is. It's about where your heart is. It's also not about trying to be like the priest or the Levite. To be the one who has the religious job or is, is the most devout or has the accolades of being the religious person and prioritizing a kind of holiness that means separateness from other people or from those that I don't like or from those I'm scared are going to quote-unquote defile me. Listen, there is a way of, of translating and speaking about the way that holiness is spoken of in Scripture that, that means a set-apartness. But sometimes we take that too far and we mean I have to be separate from anything that isn't churchy. I have to be set apart. I have to be clean and not soiled by corruption. But what if our idea of what it means to be holy isn't actually meant to be shaped by the idea that we are holy and clean and can't risk being tainted? Maybe some of us, we aren't getting together with the people we need to have conversations with because that's a conversation that's going to happen with them in uh, a bar and a pub and we would never want to be seen frequenting such an establishment. Maybe we're afraid of getting together with certain people or reaching out or talking or being seen with someone in town because People know what they believe. People know their politics. 
People know what they advocate for. And if I'm seen with them, it's not going to go well for me. We have this notion of this slippery slope. That be careful of who you associate with because it's a slippery slope before you're there. But what if faithfulness to Jesus and following his way is actually having the discernment and wisdom in Jesus to navigate the treacherous, slippery, narrow path along a slippery slope? And listen, I know that our friendships and our environments shape us. But I also know that faithful witness, the day-to-day commitment to following Jesus in our workplace, in our relationships, shapes friendships, shapes environments. What if Jesus actually shows us a good Samaritan kind of holiness that is different than the holiness of the priests and of the Levites? What if Jesus shows us a holiness that isn't, I have to stay separate from what might defile me, but Jesus showed us a holiness of coming down and being in the mess? What if Jesus shows us a good Samaritan kind of holiness that is coming and entering the world of humanity in the midst of our sin? in the midst of our chaos, of taking on the defiling sin on himself on the cross and dying in our place. There were a lot of people that didn't think Jesus was very holy during his time. He was accused of being a drunkard because of who he had company with, because of where he hung out and where he drank. Jesus was accused of being a partier And being the kind of guy who consorted with prostitutes and tax collectors. He wasn't separate enough for some people. What if the call of faithfulness in Jesus is to walk a life where we are in this world, following Christ, but not of this world? A faithfulness to Jesus that looks like I am willing to be in an environment that makes me uncomfortable with people that my religious friends wouldn't necessarily hang out with, but I am going to be there. I am going to be the presence of Christ in those spaces. What if that is the good Samaritan Jesus-shaped holiness that we are called to? To not be fearing defilement but knowing that Christ goes with us into even those places. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are not a God who is far off. You're not a God who is too good to get messy. You're not a God who seeks to loophole your way out of obligation, out of being merciful and loving. And Jesus, my prayer is that as your people, we would be a people who follow in your footsteps and not in the footsteps of what looks most religious. Oh, Jesus, would we not be the priest and the Levite? 
would we not prioritize our religiousness over mercy? Jesus, would we follow in your way? Help us, Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. But you just stand and sing with us.